headset, so there we go. Luke 23. Lots to do this morning, very little time to do it in, but I want to I want to jump into this and, and encourage you to as well. This morning, I want to say that a little bit later too, but as we're walking through this, put yourself in the story. Don't just put yourself in a seat at church. Put yourself in the story and see the things that might be seen at that moment. Hear the things that you might have heard. Put yourself in the story. It's a powerful story that Miles read for us, right? I mean, you're talking about the very crucifixion of Jesus Christ. There, there's so much chaos happening in the moment around this. There's, there's so much anger and hatred being spewed that, that it's, it's difficult really to figure out a place to focus. I mean, you get this precious statement from Jesus, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. Who's the they? Who's the them? Who, who is it that Jesus is extending his forgiveness to in this moment? The, 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 the options are pretty much limitless, aren't they? I mean, he could be talking about the disciples, the disciples who were supposed to be in his presence in that moment, and yet when the pressure came, scattered. Right? Could be talking about Judas specifically. Could be talking about Peter. The one who denied knowing him, and then at the last denial locked eyes with him and felt that excruciating pain. He could be talking about the, the high priests. He could be talking about the, the thugs of the high priests who behaved with great childishness, right? Cover the face of Jesus, slap them, and then say, okay, which one of us was that? Could be talking about um, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those religious leaders who continue to try to divert the message of Christ away from focusing on the Father and instead focusing on who, who should we pay taxes to. The crowds. The crowds who chanted just a week before, oh, hallelujah, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, and then just a week later, crucify this one. Murder him. Who's he offering forgiveness to? Uh, it could be anybody. Really, who he's offering forgiveness to, I believe, in this moment, are those people who, in seeing, didn't see. And in hearing, didn't hear. Those surrounding the cross were able to understand and see and hear the things that had happened in life. Think, think about this. Even the disciples, they saw him give sight to the blind. They saw him give hearing to the people who couldn't hear. Saw him give great dance moves to those who were lame. So, so he had seen him act in all of these different ways, even to the place where they watched Jairus' daughter rise from the dead and Lazarus walk out of a tomb. But in seeing all of that, the disciples argued on the way to Jerusalem about who got to sit next to him when he came into power. So they saw, but they didn't see. They heard. Jesus was very clear. I mean, he spoke about the forgiveness of sins. He spoke about the salvation that he was bringing. He spoke about the fact that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And there was no way to the Father except through him. They heard him speak about how the Father had sent him to be a ransom for many. But in hearing that over and over again, they never heard him. They actually heard him say, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be murdered, and then I'm going to rise again from the dead three days later. And yet they still 
didn't understand what was going on in those days. If they can miss the simplicity of Jesus saying these things, if they can miss the visuals of him doing these things and just laying out the truth of the gospel that we are sinners who need a Savior and that Jesus Christ is the only Savior who came to offer us eternal life, who came to offer us reconciliation and a relationship with the Father, if they can hear but not hear and see and not see, so can we. And so I want to focus specifically on two things quite quickly here, two aspects of the gospel that you and I tend to swing and miss on. Our community swings and miss on. The, 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 the misconceptions of what Christianity is comes down to these two things. The first is this. Jesus didn't come so that your life would be easy. That's not a message of the gospel. I mean, you, you see this, this false message being um, preached, if you would, by the first criminal. Verse 39, one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Then save yourself. Save us. Are you the Christ? Are you the one that I've got a very simple plan for you? If you're God, right? Get me out of here! So many times we get ourselves into a mess. And we get to the place where we think, you know, Maybe I'll give God a shot. So maybe you're here this morning, and that's you. There's two different, there's three different types of people that are here this morning. There's regular church folk. There's the folks who are here because of Mother's Day, and Mom's like, guess what? Guess where you're going Sunday morning. I know you're here. Glad you're here. Love you. We'll see you at Christmas. I was just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Sorry. Um, but the third group are the people who come to church like, man, this was a rugged week. <laughs> I was just, this week was terrible. I am here. I had a bad week. Here I am. All right. I'm going to give God a try. And then you begin to speak like you have found God. Well, actually, no, you haven't. You're using God. I've got very bad news for you. Galatians 6 says, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. When you sow to the flesh corruption, the only thing you will reap is more corruption. So instead of loving God the most, what's happening in that situation is you are loving yourself the most. God, if you're real, it's the foxhole confession, right? If you're real, God, you get me out of this one, then I'm going to do anything. So really what you're saying, let's just boil it down. If you serve me, then I will. The message of the gospel has really been boiled down to a sales pitch in 2022 in most churches. And the sales pitch is kind of pathetic. Listen, if you would just come to Jesus, you're going to get a life without sickness, a life without brokenness, you're going to get a, a better physical relationship with your spouse. No struggles ever. If you come to Jesus, I'll even throw in fresh breath. I mean, it's, it's that pathetic. Okay, so let me be honest. Some of you need that last part. Just going to be clear, all right? <laughs> wink, wink, nod, nod. But, <laughs> but the promise of Jesus isn't any of those things. And I'm not going to stand up here and beg you to come to Jesus so that he magically fixes your stuff. If those were the things Jesus came to offer, 
then don't you think Jesus would have had them himself? Great wealth, fancy house, great relationships. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't come to give you an easy life. All right, Frank, where do you see that in this passage? Very simply, the next criminal, what happens? Comes to Jesus. What happens to that criminal? Does he get taken off the cross? Does his family come running in to save the day? Does he become a a missionary? Does he write books of the Bible? No, he dies. He died on the cross as a consequence of his crimes. But the promise he received from Jesus Christ was far greater than anything he could have possibly dreamed of. You know what the second criminal got? Jesus. (laughs) But he didn't do anything to deserve it at all. That's pretty cool, isn't it? In fact, that's the second point. Salvation isn't dependent on anything that you do. It's dependent on Jesus and what he's done. Look, look at the thief's response. So I keep calling him the thief, the criminal. Um, we have no indication that he actually was a thief. He was involved in an insurrection, so we think that was more of a criminal behavior than, than thievery, but that was free. <laughs> look at his response. Verse 40, he answered the other man who was rebuking him and said, Do you not fear God since we, you, are undergoing that same punishment? See, we're punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man here, the man in the middle, has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Listen to his response. He's saying, I'm guilty. Jesus is innocent. I know my place. I know his place. I deserve death. He does not deserve death. What he's saying is, is I'm guilty. This one's innocent. Look at this man in the middle cross here. He's getting something he doesn't deserve. But, but he doesn't just see that. He also confesses to his own guilt. That's something that is sorely missing in 2022, is it not? Holy smokes. Nothing is anybody's fault anymore. It's always somebody else's fault. I had the privilege and responsibility of working at a PGA event this weekend. Yes, the weather was delightful. But was cracking me up is, okay, I love golf. I golf and I complain about everything and I always have an excuse. But I was watching professionals, and I will not name which one, blaming sand. Nothing is anybody's fault anymore. But he says, no, I am guilty. I deserve this. He's not guilty. But you know what else he recognizes? He sees something that nobody else sees. He knows that the man on the middle of the cross is a king. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When you assume your position of royalty, when you assume your position of authority, when you're when you're there, when, when Jesus is dealing with the affairs of all of humankind, when he is maintaining the, the perfect balance of sun, moon, and stars, when he's hearing the prayers of all the multitudes of people, when you are in the middle of all of that chaos, would you remember me? A guy that you've known for maybe an hour or two here, a guy who's guilty of, of the crimes he's being executed for, Would you 
remember me from the from their place of royalty would you remember me remember me don't forget me is what the criminal saying that that is a passionate request that is born out of vulnerability would you please remember me don't forget me i, I can't make you remember me i i can't Make that happen at all. But I'm depending on your goodness, on your kindness, on your selflessness. selflessness. I'm depending on your attention to my greatest need. Please remember me. Don't forget me. Man, that is a posture of salvation. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But here's this beautiful aspect of what's about to happen. It's not simply remember me, give me the head nod when I walk by. Not simply remember me, kind of point at me like, hey, you look familiar. I have no idea what your name is. That's what I do in the grocery store. So just you're welcome. If I point, you know I'm searching. Like, (laughs) That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is... When you come into your royal courtroom to pass judgment on everyone, and I come into your presence, would you grant me mercy? And Jesus blows him away by saying, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Not only will I remember you, not only will I acknowledge you, not only will I bring mercy in the judgment, I have so much more than that. You are going to be with me. This guy didn't have his theology all tied up in a neat bow. He didn't get baptized, wasn't a church member, wasn't giving in the offering boxes, he wasn't doing any of those things. He knew he was guilty. He knew Jesus wasn't. He knew Jesus was king. He knew he deserved judgment. He saw Jesus for who he was, the innocent one, a king dying a death he didn't deserve, and he cried out with faith, Jesus, remember me. In that moment, though your temporary situation will not change, your eternal situation has been secured forever. In that exact second that you cry out, Jesus, remember me. God loves you as much in that second as he will a thousand years from now when you are perfected in heaven. Your eternal life begins in that second. Jesus, remember me. It's not not about your intentions. It's not about your abilities. It's not about your actual accomplishments. You stand before God. He's not going to be looking for a resume. You know that old uh, evangelism explosion question, why should God let you into his heaven? Why should God allow you to enter into heaven? The, the, <laughs> there's a lot of answers that come with that, but almost every single answer that came with that question as we did that program back in the day was, well, because I, I'm not a terrible person. I worked really hard. I go to church at least once every six months, especially on Mother's Day. I, I don't swear as much as I used to. I only drink a little. I... Why should God allow you into his presence? It has nothing to do with I. It has everything to do with he. A couple of weeks ago, maybe months ago, I heard Alistair Begg speak on this. And if you don't know who Alistair Begg is, you can, you can Google him and look him up. He's, he's fun to listen to because he's got an awesome Scottish accent. But he spoke about this in such a way that it captured my attention, it captured my 
my imagination. And let me, just for free here, let me throw this out there. Do you let yourself imagine? You know that's a gift that God's given to you? Your imagination? The ability to, think about that for a second, the ability to close your eyes and picture something. That's a gift from God. And so you should use it to its fullest advantage. Now, you should allow it to be sanctified. Let me encourage you to keep it sanctified. Allow truth to, to guide your imagination as you think about it. This is why, one of the reasons, this is a kind of a plug, I guess, but it's one of the reasons why I have particularly enjoyed this series, The Chosen, so much. Now, they had a, a little hiccup in the last month or two, but that was more marketing than it was content, and they're morons, so we'll just leave it at that. If you don't know what that's about, you can Google that too. But one of the things about the chosen, what it does is it's very clear too. It doesn't hold back. It says, listen, this isn't the truth. The truth is found in Scripture. Go back to Scripture. They say that repeatedly as you're watching that series, but it enters you into the situations where Jesus is speaking so very clearly and you can see it and you can sense it. And, and I have watched all, I think only one of the episodes of the chosen that I've watched. I haven't watched them all. I've watched, I have not teared up one. And the rest of them, I'm usually a blubbering baby, right? So, so as Alistair Begg, sorry, that was free. Anyway, use your imagination. Allow it to be captivated by the scripture. But, but as he's speaking about this, this is where my head went. Is you can imagine at the end of this day, Jesus has been laid in the tomb. The thief on the cross or the criminal on the cross has died. And now he's in heaven. Right? That's what Jesus said. Today you will be with me in Paris. So he is in heaven, and he is in heaven unlike anybody else there. He does not look anything like Abraham or Sarah or Moses or David or Daniel or Ruth or any of those. Okay, This dude is up in heaven walking around like, where in the world am I? You can see an angel or two being like, hey, uh, excuse me, sir, can I help you? I have no idea. Well, how did you get here? I, I, I don't know. All right, we may have a problem here. So they call in the supervisor, which I guess is the archangel. Um, he comes in. The supervisor's like, okay, let me ask you a question. Do you understand justification by faith? And the criminal's like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Did you even memorize the Pentateuch? The what? Do you know what propitiation is? All right, slow down, Skippy. I'm still working on the Pentateuch thing here, man. What are you talking about? Man, wh- why are you here in heaven? Well, you know, he didn't start going, well, I was baptized as a baby. I went to church growing up. I memorized a lot of verses. I took communion every once and again. I tried to do my best. I, he didn't say any of that. You know what he says? Because the guy in the middle cross said I could come. That's the only correct answer. The man on the middle cross has acted for you. Maybe you've been in church your entire life, and you have heard countless messages on the gospel, but you never really heard it. Maybe you've secretly hoped that by going to church, Jesus would become the secret sauce that would fix your immediate situation. And you've never seen the wonder for what he's done for you. Maybe you've been working on that acceptance. It can only be given to you 
That's something you can earn. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're, here, you've never confessed your guilt. You've never claimed his offer of forgiveness because you just figured, I go to church, I don't have to. And stop clinging to the eyes and look at the cross and see him. See, Jesus offered forgiveness to those who were hearing but didn't hear, who were seeing but didn't see. And this morning, that could be you. Forgiveness has been offered to you. It's not yours until you accept it. Jesus Christ came not just to die for you, but he came to die in your place. He took your record of debt. He nailed it to his cross, paying what you owed so that you could have a reconciled relationship with the Father. And he did it for you. Maybe you have accepted that offer, but maybe you have drifted a bit and forgotten that your acceptance in God's eyes has everything to do with what Jesus did and nothing to do with what you have. Your forgiveness has been wrapped up in the finished work of the cross. As we close our service this morning, I'm going to encourage you, like I have the last few weeks, as we stand to sing in a moment, I'm going to encourage you, if you need to leave your seat and come up here and talk to somebody, there'll be folks up here to to pray with you, to encourage you, to walk alongside you. They cannot save you. Only Jesus can. Maybe you just need to sit in your seat for a moment and thank God for the forgiveness that he has given to you the righteousness that's been credited to your account because of what Jesus has done. Let me invite you to do, to do just that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your precious, priceless, incredible gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you that in Christ we know we have been given the gift of life, of forgiveness, of acceptance in your eyes. So, Lord, I pray that even right now you would do a work in the hearts of the men and women in this room. Certainly with with a group this size, there are folks here who don't know Christ as Savior. I pray this morning that they would understand that there is nothing they can do to earn their way in. It simply is a gift that's been offered to them. May they take full advantage of that and receive that gift even today even as we close our time. And then, Father, for those of us who know you, I just pray this morning would be a fresh reminder of that gift. That we would remember that we were the ones responsible for you hanging on that cross. And that great act of mercy and grace was why you were able to reach out and extend forgiveness to us. So, Father, may we just wash in that together. Father, thanks for Christ. It's in his precious name I pray. Amen.